I want to correct something that I said last time I was here. I made the statement that uh, God the Holy Spirit resides in us, his temples, and that's true. But I think I made the comment that he's not in the building uh, when we leave. Well, he's everywhere. God is omnipresent. So he's here. But what I was trying to say is that the focus of the temple is no longer uh, brick and mortar. It's the redeemed, redeemed believer. The holy of holies is now in our hearts. And uh, I think of Acts 17.24, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Or 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? So I just want to clarify that uh, at this point. Also, I wanted to um, review with you very quickly what we've seen by way of sermon title in the book of Romans to date. We've seen the priority of the gospel. We've seen really caring about people. We've seen the monument of the gospel. We've seen the devolution of mankind. We've seen three principles of God's judgment. We've seen religion without salvation. We've seen God as the perfect promise keeper. And we've seen that we all need a lawyer. If you've missed any of those messages there on the church webpage, I encourage you to catch up. Uh, www.calvarybible.org.bs under media. This morning, let's look to the Lord in prayer before we look to his word. Lord, we thank you that your word is powerful. We thank you that it's true. We thank you that it nourishes us in our inner man or woman. We thank you that your word is the guide to all faith and practice. Lord, may our faith translate into practice as we consider rightness and acquittal, justification explained in these minutes. We pray this in Jesus Christ, the head of the church's name, and God's people said, amen. Romans 3, 21 to 31 is our text this morning. If you crack it like an egg, two parts come out of this passage. Part one is righteousness, verses 21 to 23. And part two is justification, verses 24 to 31. Two parts to Romans 3, 21 to 31. First, righteousness, and second, justification. So let's get right after it. Let's look at righteousness, verses 21 to 23. Let your eye go down to verse 21, please. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and through the prophets. Can you hear, as it were, the Apostle Paul's sigh of relief as he penned verse 21? The but that begins verse 21 is the beginning of something different to what we've seen previous to verse 21 in Romans. The but is so very sweet. You could make the case, by the way, that the word but, the contrastive word but, the connecting word but in the Old and the New Testament is one of the most significant words in all of the Bible. And here it is the case as well. Verse 21 again, but now... Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. This verse, family, is the great turning point of the whole book of Romans. This verse is the flip 
from righteousness needed to righteousness provided. This verse is the turn from condemnation to justification. This verse is the switch from guilt to acquittal. This verse is the welcome movement from darkness to dawn. Oh yes, 321 is the pivot point of the whole epistle to the Romans. Verse 21 is the swing from hell to heaven. It's the page turn from condemnation to justification. Oh yes, verse 21 is a super significant verse again. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. What a great verse of scripture to memorize. I see four things about righteousness in verses 21 through 23. You ready? The first thing about righteousness, it is sourced in God. Verse 21a, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. The source of righteousness is God. Second about righteousness, its kind is either God's kind of righteousness, which comes through faith in Christ, or erroneously, it's man's kind of righteousness through self-effort. We see that in verse 22a. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. Those who believe in Christ have this righteousness. Not those who try to work their way to God through altruism, philanthropic effort, religiosity. No. Those who have righteousness, you who have righteousness, have it because of your faith in Christ and God's amazing grace to give you his righteousness. So the first thing about righteousness, first part of verse 21, it's sourced in God, not us. Second, it's either God's through faith in Christ or man's, and it's God's that's true righteousness. Third about righteousness, it's acquisition. You get it. By believing, verse 22 again, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. Righteousness is sourced in God. It's either God's kind or man's kind. You get it by believing in Christ and its need. The need for righteousness is universal. There is no one in the sound of my voice that doesn't need God's righteousness. There's no one in the city of Nassau that doesn't need God's righteousness. There's no one in the Bahamas that doesn't need God's righteousness. There's no one in the world that doesn't need God's righteousness. Its need is universal because, of course, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us miss the target of God's perfection. All of us lack self-generated righteousness. Yes, true righteousness is sourced in God. It's of the type that is through faith in Christ. It is acquired by believing, and it's needed by everyone. Now, let's look at this a little more closely at verse 21 again, please, and verse 22. I'll read them. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. 
Verse 21 references the righteousness of God. You know what this is? It's a gift. It's a standing. And it's given to those people believing in Christ by a very, very gracious God. Will you notice next with me that this gift of righteousness of God has been manifested It has been manifested. The verb tense here is one that stresses a past action with an ongoing effect. A past completed action with an ongoing effect. On August 6, 1983, Beth Wisenhunt married Robert Elliott in Waterford, Michigan. Beth's father officiated the ceremony. That's a completed action before God with enduring result these 32 years later. This is saying that the righteousness of God has been manifested and it has continuing effect. So what was the past action? Oh, Jesus Christ's sinless life lived on earth and the Lord Jesus Christ's totally acceptable blood sacrifice for sin on the cross, completed action. Nothing can be added to what Jesus did on the cross. Nothing needs to be added to what Jesus has done on the cross. And what is the ongoing effect of the completed cross work of Christ? Ah, that God constantly offers a full salvation for all who will put their faith in Christ alone. God is offering, 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 offering. Salvation perpetually for those who receive the gift of righteousness through faith in Christ. Have you received the gift of righteousness? God is offering this morning. Offering. Completed action, Christ's cross work, ongoing effect. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who will believe. Stop trusting yourself if that's who you're trusting. Stop trusting religion if that's what you're trusting. Stop trusting your good works if that's what you're trusting. Trust Christ and only Christ. Transfer your trust to Christ alone and be given right standing with God, acquittal, justification. Now, it says in verse 21 something else. It mentions the law and the prophets. This is a Jewish way of referring to the whole Old Testament. Verse 21, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The whole Old Testament talks about God's law and the righteousness behind God's law resident in God. And we'll see later in this message The law's purpose was to show us we need Christ because we can't keep the law. Habakkuk, the prophet, as a sample of the Old Testament, talking about the righteousness of God being manifest in the Old Testament and God's gracious offer of salvation. Habakkuk 2, verse 4, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. Old Testament. The Old Testament and the New Testament are friends. They don't contradict each other. They're seamless. Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. Therefore the law has become our tutor 
to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. Some of you who have little children going to school now or soon, you'll take them by the hand and walk to the neighborhood school. You are a pedagogue. You are a tutor. You are a guardian. You are taking them to the lessons they need to learn at school. The law does that. It takes me and you by the hand and walks us to Christ to show us we can't perform to earn right standing with God. So I want to read verses 21 and 22 once more. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. Believing does not equal respecting. There are a lot of people who respect Jesus who have never believed on him for salvation. Believing does not equal respecting. There's a difference between believing and respecting. I can respect your knowledge of your big dog that is baring his teeth and growling at me, but I doubt very much if I will believe you when you say he won't bite. (laughs) Believing does not equal respecting. Respecting does not equal believing. Believing is so much higher than respecting. And believing in Christ is the way to the gift of righteousness. Believing in Christ is the way to justification, to being declared innocent, although we're guilty. So do you have this righteousness? You only have it if you've been given Christ's righteousness. Jude 24 and 25, a wonderful benediction near the end of the New Testament. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy. To the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forever. Amen. What a future scene. (laughs) What a hope. And it's for every born-again believer. Each one of us will be presented blameless because of Christ's work and being robed in his righteousness, his imputed righteousness, being justified, acquitted in the court of heaven. We'll be able to be blameless precisely because all of us who are redeemed are robed in Jesus' righteousness. When God looks at you as his regenerated person, he only sees his son's merits because they have been imputed credited, applied to your account if you're a Christian. And now, from the righteousness part of this sermon, verses 21 to 23, let's transition to the justification part of this passage, verses 24 to 31. First, we need to define justification. Justification is God's work. God's act of acquitting sinners and declaring them right before him or declaring them righteous before him. Let me say it again. Justification is God's act of acquitting sinners and declaring them right before him 
Justification, therefore, is not what we think that it is in our flesh. Justification is so much more than we could conceive. So very much more. Justification is not made right, it's declared right. Justification is not the subtraction of sin, it's the declaration of guiltlessness. Justification is not just a change of state, it is a change of standing. No longer are we viewed by God to be in sin because of Jesus. Justification is not a human attainment. Rather, it is God's free gift because of the cross. Please listen carefully. This means that justification is not merely just as if I hadn't sinned. That's not enough. That's only half of the equation. Just as if I hadn't sinned. That's only the subtraction. But praise God, justification is both subtraction and addition. Justification is God's work of subtracting our sin and adding his son's righteousness. Justification subtracts the believer's sin and adds to the believer Christ's righteousness. Now, let's see quickly five things about justification that verses 24 to 31 teach. Number one, again, it's definition. God's act of acquitting sinners and declaring them to be righteous. That is number one. Second truth about justification is in the first part of verse 24, and it's the basis of justification. The basis of justification is God's amazing grace. God giving us the good that we do not deserve. The basis of your justification and mine is God's amazing grace. See it there in verse 24? Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Do you know what grace is? If I'm going along JFK to the airport and I'm speeding and the police pulls me over, he says, do you know how fast you're going? I know I was going fast, officer. I'm sorry. He says, you know what? I'm not going to give you a ticket. That's mercy. Withholding the bad I deserve. But if that officer reaches into his own wallet, his own wallet, and gives me a $100 bill, I want you to have a safe flight to Toronto. That's grace. Giving me the good I don't deserve. That we would be justified as born-again Christians is pure grace. Being given the good, forgiveness of our sins, a home in heaven one day, being given the good that we do not deserve. The definition of justification is God's action of acquitting sinners and declaring them righteous. Justification's basis is God's amazing grace and would seem that the NASB translation of verse 24 to me is not preferred to the NIV translation. The NIV translation properly uh, uh, translates verses 24a as and are justified freely by his grace. Justified freely by his grace. Freely. 
is not to be missed. The Greek word Dorian is translated freely, properly, by the NIV translators. Dorian, which essentially means a gift for nothing. By the way, when in the States, they would have banners up at gas stations, earn free gas. How do you earn free gas? Free gas is free gas. You've been justified freely by God's grace. Never get over it. Dorian, a gift for nothing, a present to one who in no way deserves it. That's us. None of us here deserves forgiveness or heaven. Salvation, you know, doesn't come to people who are good enough. Salvation comes to people who know they are bad enough. Is that you? Do you realize you're bad before Christ and you need the Dorian free gift of grace, of forgiveness and salvation? I trust if you don't know that, you will before you leave today. Another fact to face, not only do none of us deserve justification, but uh, none of us can earn or work towards salvation by keeping God's law. Galatians 2.21, listen. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. If we could keep the law and earn our own right standing with God, then Christ would have died needlessly. But because none of us can keep all of God's laws 100% of the time, Christ died needfully. Needfully. Now, more on justification. What does justification mean? There are two of them. First, the means of God justifying you is the redemptive work of Christ's death. See that with me in the second part of verse 24. I'll read all the verse. Being justified as a gift by his grace, watch it, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption is God's work of purchasing the sinner out of the slave marketplace of sin to set that redeemed person free from sin, free to do the bidding of God to God's glory. Hosea went to the slave marketplace at God's design, and there his wife stood naked after a life of prostitution, and Hosea paid the price to release her from the slave marketplace of sin and to set her free to marital fidelity and to honoring God with her life. You and I were in the slave marketplace of sin. And Jesus laid down his blood to purchase us out of the slave marketplace of sin, to redeem us, not with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with his precious blood. Never get over it. First means of justification is the redemptive work of Jesus' death. The second means of our justification is the propitiation of Christ's death. The propitiation of Christ's death. Verse 25, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation. 
in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. Propitiation is a Bible word that means satisfactory payment. When you put your car in with the mechanic and he does that brake job your car needs, when you give him the money that he said it would cost to fix your brakes, you have given him a propitiation. He has no claim on you financially anymore because you've paid in full what you owed him. Christ, in his finished work on the cross, his shed blood, was a propitiation to heaven for all your sins, past, present, and future. All of my sins, past, present, and future. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Full payment, entirely sufficient for all the sin debts in the room, for all the sin debt that's in the world. Appeasement, total satisfaction for sin's injury and offense. Hebrews 9, 11 to 14, listen. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Oh, yes, Jesus Christ's sacrifice was propitiation to God the Father. Total payment for our sins. Then, in Leviticus 16, 14 to 16, we read, Moreover, he, that is Israel's human high priest. Moreover, he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on, the, on his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. Also in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall slaughter the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, and bring its blood inside to the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat in front of the mercy seat. He shall make atonement for the holy place because of the impurities of the sons of Israel and because of their transgressions to regard all their sins. And they he shall do for the tent of meeting which abides with them in the mind of their impurities. Family, Christ's blood, not a bull's blood, not a goat's blood. Christ's blood is the one and only satisfactory to God payment for sin. All the blood sacrifices of all the animals in the Old Testament were looking forward to the cross and the shed blood of the Messiah. Propitiation. It says in verse 25 that because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed. He passed over means that up until Calvary, holy God didn't pour out his full wrath on sin. He wanted to, he waited to do that, the pouring out of his full wrath on sin, that he poured it out on the Lamb of God, his only begotten Son, slain once for all time, the just for the unjust, 
being hung on a wooden cross. But because holy God's full wrath against all of human sin for all time was meted out, given out, poured out onto Jesus on the cross, all of our sins, past, present, future sins, are covered. Are you glad? They're atoned for. They're forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. I ran across some believers once who didn't fully understand justification. And they felt that the words of Charles Wesley's great hymn, And Can It Be, needed to be changed, so they took the liberty to change the words. Specifically, they had a problem with verse 5, which is written, was written. Still the small inward voice I hear that whispers all my sins forgiven. Still the atoning blood is near that quenched the wrath of hostile heaven. These believers, well-meaning as they are, don't want to look at any hostility towards sin in heaven, but it's there. There is a holy hostility against sin and evil in heaven. Otherwise, God's righteousness and holiness are meaningless. Romans 4 25, if you go there with me, still on justification. He, that is Christ, who was delivered up, that is to the cross, because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Jesus was delivered up because we are sinners, every one of us. If we weren't sinners, Jesus wouldn't have been delivered up at the cross. It wouldn't have been necessary. He was delivered up because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. If God the Father didn't see Jesus shed blood as a propitiation, entirely satisfactory payment for all sin, he never would have resurrected his son from the dead. But he did. Proof positive that nothing can be added to what Jesus did to pay for sin and nothing needs to be added to what Jesus did to pay for sin. This means that holy God is just and fair when he declares righteous all who place their complete trust in Christ to be their sin bearer, their substitute sacrifice. God is both just to his character and fair because your sins have been punished on Jesus. None of your sins are left unpunished. Jesus bore the punishment for your sins. God didn't wink at sin. He poured his wrath onto his son, and the Palestinian midday sunlight went dark. The curtain in the Jews' temple was ripped from top to bottom. The graves of believers in Jerusalem shook, and they resurrected to life. That's how big a deal. Christ's death on the cross is. Again, if you've never run to that sacrifice in faith, there's no hope for you until you do. Our text's last two points on justification are these. Justification, what is its activator? 
What is its activator? Its activator is faith in Jesus. Go with me to 3.26 to see that faith is the activator of justification. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Faith in and of itself is worthless. Faith is only as valuable as the object upon which it rests. When I go scuba diving, if the tank is empty and I have faith in it, you can put on my tombstone, he died in faith believing in his tank. (laughs) Faith is only as good as the object upon which it rests. And will you notice the only one that's a worthwhile person to rest your faith on is Jesus. The justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. If I marked my Bible, and I do, I would underline faith in Jesus. The activator of justification is faith. Skip down to verse 28. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith. There it is again. Apart from the works of the law. Go back to chapter 1, 16 and 17, please. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, that is the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Then if we were to take time to go to John 3, Jesus' great interchange with the seminary professor Nicodemus, if you looked at verses 3 to 7 of John chapter 3, you'd see Jesus Christ stress faith. He must be born again. Fifth and last in the text, justification. What are its implications? Is this just theory? Is this just a theology lecture? Is this something that you just forget about when you go through those back doors? No. What are the implications of justification? Number one, boasting is prevented. 27 to 28. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. There it is again. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith. There it is again apart from the works of law. If you get a handle on what it means to be acquitted of God, declared innocent because of the propitiation of Jesus Christ on the cross, you will not be a boastful person. You will not look down your spiritual nose at the person you meet this week who's not yet a Christian and maybe has an alcohol problem or an adultery problem or a theft problem. You cannot understand justification and be a boastful Christian. Second implication, not only is boasting prevented, but secondly, God is consistent. All those who are justified will be justified in the same way, by faith. By faith in Christ. It's beautiful. This is magnificent. God is the God both of the Gentiles and of the Jews. And this great God is the justifier of both believing Gentiles and Jews. No partiality whatsoever. God 
will consistently, predictably, surely justify any and all who will take refuge by faith in the person and in the work of Christ. One simply cannot miss the activator of God's justification being faith, 29 to 30. Or is God the God of Jews only? He is not the God of, is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since indeed God, who will justify the circumcised, the Jews, by faith, and the uncircumcised, that's Gentiles, through faith is one. The last thing I want you to see as an implication of justification in the text is in verse 31, and it's this, the law is confirmed. The law is confirmed. Verse 31, please. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. The strongest negative in Greek. May it never be. Last time I said this could be translated, are you crazy? Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. Uh, I've said the law is confirmed by justification. Let me explain. The law is confirmed and upheld in that the law's role was to point out our sin. 320. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. You know what? No one by the works of the law will be justified because no one can keep 100% of the law 100% of the time. When you meet someone you share Christ with and they say, my religion is the Ten Commandments, then just smile and say, how many of them do you keep? How often do you keep them? If they're honest, they'll have to admit they've broken God's law. And God's law is confirmed and established by justification because the role of the law was not to justify. The role of the law was to point out our sin. Verse 20 again. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. That means the law is a mirror and not a comb. The law is an alarm and not a fire extinguisher. The law is a tutor and not a university degree. The law is an MRI, not a needed surgery. The law points us to our extreme need of a savior from sin. I want to close this message with an illustration. Could you show that video clip? All right, Mr. Car Mr. Uh, Simpson, would you please stand and face the jury? Mrs. Robertson. Superior Court of California, County of Los Angeles. In the matter of the people of the state of California versus Orenthal James Simpson, case number BA097211. We, the jury, in the above entitled action, find the defendant Orenthal James Simpson not guilty of the crime of murder in violation of Penal Code Section 187A, a felony upon Nicole Brown Simpson, a human being, as charged in count one of the information. 
Superior Court of the State of California, County of Los Angeles, in the matter of the people of the State of California versus Orenthal James Simpson. We, the jury, in the above entitled action, find the defendant, Orenthal James Simpson, not guilty of the crime of murder in violation of Penal Code Section 187A, a felony upon Ronald Lyle Goldman, a human being, as charged in count two of the information. Why would I show you that? Because in my opinion, he was guilty of killing those people. He was found to be responsible for their deaths in a civil court. But I showed you that clip because O.J. Simpson's instantaneous look of relief and amazement and thanks as he looked at that jury, which had surprisingly acquitted him of double murder, although I believe in his heart he knew he was guilty. But don't miss this. This illustration only lines up with the proper theology of justification if all of the jury members in that courtroom, all of their sons, served all of the jail time which O.J. deserved to serve. Please stand with me. You who are justified, the incredible body of Christ, my brothers and sisters in the Lord, we should constantly have that same O.J. Simpson look of relief and amazement and thanks toward heaven and toward our peers because we're acquitted, we're justified, and we are no better than O.J. Simpson. Jesus said, if we call someone raka, Aramaic for empty head, in our parlance, idiot. Jesus said, if we call someone an idiot, we are guilty of murdering him. That's what Jesus said. Would the justify bow in prayer with me? How grateful we are, Father, and shall be for all eternity for the turning point of 3 verse 21 that Christ's righteousness can be imputed to us as we believe in him, that we can be robed in Jesus' righteousness, that we can, as an act of your grace, be justified, acquitted, declared innocent. Father, your grace is huge. It's still operative after conversion. And salvation is a gift. Oh, God, forgive us if we've hoarded that gift by not sharing the availability of that gift with others. Help us to break our holy huddle to fish for men. Thank you, Lord, for laying down your blood to purchase each of us out of the slave marketplace of sin. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that your blood spilled was a total satisfactory payment to the Father for our sins. Help us to live these truths. May they go from our heads to our hearts and then to our hands and our feet. And we ask these things that you be glorified in this company of the justified. And we pray this in our precious Lord and Savior's name. And God's people said, Amen.